Hello and welcome to Double Stint, Sports Car 365 Sports Car Racing Podcast. I'm Jonathan Grace and I'm joined today by Sports Car 365 Editor-in-Chief John DeGeese. John, how was your week? It was pretty good. How about yours, Jonathan? It was pretty good. It was interesting having no racing going on this weekend, but we've got a treat for you here on the episode in its place. We'll take a look at the news of the week and then give you a deeper dive into the LMDH testing programs. We'll, of course, answer some listener questions and give you a preview of what's coming up in the world of sports car racing. All that and more on this week's episode of Double Stint. Well, John, let's dive right into the news. The first headline we'll bring you is that Ferrari is pushing for pro entries for their brand new 296 GT3 car, and this is to demonstrate what the car can do. They're hoping for five to six entries, at least in Daytona, with another four to five full season entries in the IMSA WeatherTech Championship as well. Yeah, I had the chance to speak to Antonello Coletta um, during the Ferrari 296 GT3 launch at Spa, and this is when he sort of um, revealed that they're really pushing to get as many pro entries as they can in all of the important championships worldwide. With the ACO obviously going towards Pro-Am with with this GT3 formula starting in 2024 and GTE Pro um not going to be existing after the end of this year. It basically leaves the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, um, Intercontinental GT Challenge, and um, Fanatec GT World Challenge Europe as the three major targets for Ferrari or any manufacturer of that matter to try to um, go for pro entries with GT3 cars. And um, Coletta basically confirmed that it's their desire to have them in all three. We know this year they've been represented in, in Europe by Iron Lynx. We're not too sure about whether that'll continue into next year. There's still a lot of rumors and gossip going around with that. Um, Risi Competizioni has been um, running the 488 GT3 Evo 2020 um, in the WeatherTech Championship in the Michelin Endurance Cup races. But an interesting thing that Coletta said is that they're actually almost pushing Reese to do a full season in IMSA next year. And I know that's been a desire in, in previous years and it's never really materialized, but this could be the biggest push yet to get that the Houston-based team on the grid for a full season. Um, I think that'll be the first time in four or five years at least for, for them. So um, we'll have to wait and see. Um, Coletta did confirm that Reese has placed an order for the 296. We know Settelar Racing also has one um, that they plan to debut at Daytona. And I think those are two of the five to six cars we'll probably see at Daytona, most likely an AF Corsa entered car in GTD as well, and potentially some other customers that could be on board for the full WeatherTech championship season. Yeah, this will be really interesting. And of course, we'll keep you updated as we get more and more of those hopeful five to six entries confirmed for next year. We got some driver news, potential driver news, I should say, uh, in regards to Ferrari as well. They're kind of hoping uh, to utilize their GT3 driver lineups as much as they can with LMH uh, and kind of cross them over, cross pollinate as much as possible, which is important because it means that they're not going to be adding too many more drivers outside of what's already in their factory lineup. Yeah, that's an interesting development because we've seen other manufacturers like Porsche, for instance, adding drivers to its lineup, um, like Dane Cameron, Felipe Nasser. Um, we're probably going to be getting one or two others in, in that category as well. Um, and Porsche already has a really deep talent pool for its GT factory driver roster. But um, Ferrari is going to basically be utilizing the same drivers for both series. And Antonella Coletta basically explained that, hey, there's only six or seven WEC races. We got to keep our drivers busy. So um, it's a good point to, to see that. Um, 
Um, Ferrari obviously is only doing the World Endurance Championship with its LMH car beginning next year. Um, where Porsche, for instance, is doing both IMSA and WEC. And Porsche's had a history of sort of allocating its WEC drivers mainly for that championship only. So um, not trying to compare the two manufacturers directly, but I think it's the easiest example considering both are moving up to the top prototype class beginning next year. Although Ferrari, like I said, is only doing the WEC. But um, we know Alessandro Pierguidi has shaken down the the car. Um, Nicholas Nielsen has been in it too. I think Davide Regan as well, um, the LMH car that is. So um, it'll be interesting to see when they're able to make an announcement on driver lineups. They'll obviously need six drivers for the LMH program in the WEC, and they have a really deep talent pool as it is. And you mentioned Porsche, and let's talk about them for a moment, because they're also targeting a large number of cars for Daytona next year. Six new 911 GT3 Rs uh, is the target for Porsche. Porsche said they want to evenly split these between GTD and GTD Pro. And this will be interesting because, you know, we're seeing Ferrari pushing for the Pro entries and Porsche is kind of hoping to split them down the middle. Yeah, I, I think both manufacturers are probably have a similar philosophy in this. They, they both want to showcase the, the potential in Pro and then also still having a strong customer base with GTD because that's at the end of the day where the sales are for the majority of their customers. Um, there was a question, I think... On, on, on our story on Sports Car 365 on the Porsche story about um, the majority of the Porsche's worldwide GT3 spec cars are actually run by pro teams. And actually, that's not really correct. If you look at it, at least from a North American perspective, um, there's only a handful of, of teams that actually run it full season with a full pro lineup faf motorsports being the only one in, in north america and then you have some one-off entries from gpx racing um kcmg and and manthai for for the nurburgring 24 and and other races like spa 24 and and, and things like that but when you look at the the customer base from Porsche, it's largely pro-am and a large, a large amount of them in America are actually bronze rated drivers. You have Rob Ferriel of, of Hardpoint owning a couple of the cars, um, Wright Motorsports fields, a bronze rated driver in, in uh, Ryan Hardwick. And, and there's also some other customer teams like Ted Giovannis with TGM. So you look at it and actually Porsche has sort of supported a lot of the traditional bronze rated driver lineups in some of these in, in the WeatherTech Championship, at least, you look at um, GT World Challenge America, you have Charlie Luck with Jan Halen over there with Wright, another bronze-rated driver. So I, I think the split is... is is even there probably between the 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 emphasis on on having a couple pros go for the GTD Pro class in IMSA and but also trying to make sure that the customers are really taken care of and and it looks like at least Porsche historically has sort of catered more towards the bronze driver and I think that's part of the market that somebody like Ferrari is trying to actually get into a little bit more um, at least in North America. Absolutely. And, and speaking about the bronze driver, Porsche has said that they actually respect IMSA's decision to forego the bronze GTD mandate. With all of these manufacturers, of course, as you mentioned, their factory programs are, are important. They want to showcase what these cars can do with the absolute limit driven by the absolute best in the world. But you got to pay the bills at some point. And a lot of these customer teams are where that happens. And Porsche, as you said, has a long standing relationship with a lot of their customers and these bronze drivers. And, and they have a great relationship going in that respect. Yeah, and I know Porsche and a couple other manufacturers, I think, were behind the idea of making GTD a bronze 
uh, mandated uh, class, and that ultimately didn't materialize, as we talked about on last week's show. And it's a little bit bittersweet because I, I think that you know there's some manufacturers out there that don't like it, some manufacturers that do, and trying to find that balance is really difficult at times. And you have to credit IMSA for trying to do what's best for the sport at this moment in time. And um, a, a, as we said last week, you know there's going to be a, a greater emphasis on the Bob Aiken uh, Bronze Cup Championship, as it's called now, um, with a, an, a podium uh, ceremonies for the, the top ranked bronze drivers in the GTD class and then um, some changes in the qualifying format and minimum drive time for those drivers. So um, yeah, I, I think there's some strides being made there, but um, certainly from Porsche's standpoint, I think they really do cater to the bronze drivers or at least historically have. We have news for DTM and the World Endurance Championship as well. Rene Rast, Nico Muller, and Nick Cassidy are set to miss the six hours of Fuji over a clash with their DTM round. Dries Vanthor, we know, will sub in for Rene Rast. Davide Regan will sub in for Nick Cassidy. And we don't have an official sub yet for Nico Muller, although, John, I think it's suspected that it may be a DPI driver from the IMSA WeatherTech Championship. Yeah, it, it appears to be another IMSA DPI driver that will line up alongside um, Ryan Cullen and Sebastian Bourdais for that race. We'll have to wait and see until it's officially announced, but it'll be a, a driver that's familiar, I think, to a lot of people in the, the sports car racing world. And it's weird to see that three drivers from WEC are actually prioritizing the DTM race on that same weekend. We were sort of wondering about this for a few months to see what will happen in terms of the cards unfolding, because um, we've had clashes, obviously, before with other championships. Um, formerly, E is always a much publicized one with, with WEC, but this time it's DTM. And this sort of goes to show you that the manufacturers in DTM are sort of taking priority over some of these drivers, um, at least from the LMP2 and GTEM ranks. They're they're not factory drivers in WEC, but they are running for their manufacturers in DTM. So that just shows you how much of a pull DTM currently has um, in in the marketplace, which is quite interesting to see. Um, but um, nonetheless, I, I think there's some really good replacements, like you mentioned, for um, two of the three. And I'm sure the third one will be a, a, a great replacement as well. Oh, absolutely. And in speaking about taking priority, you know, we've seen, I think, the DTM gain a little bit of popularity this year from a fan perspective. We've seen all the elbows out racing and, and a lot of the rounds. And I think that's made it exciting from a fan perspective. And so potentially there's that pull as well. But as you said, the, the manufacturer pull is a huge factor there. Yeah, absolutely, Jonathan. Um, it's the second year of the GT3 regulations in, in DTM. There's more and more momentum. We've seen Lamborghini commit um, to some backing this year with Grasser Racing Team's efforts there and, and also um, increased support, I think, from some other manufacturers as well. And I'm really eager to see what 2023 brings with this championship. SRO's new driver rating overhaul has prompted a change in the class structures for GT World Challenge Europe, and uh, I'll try to run you through it as best we can here. So far, we've seen changes in the Endurance Cup. Pro will become overall with no class restrictions in terms of driver rating. The Gold Cup is now gold drivers only, and this is similar to what the Silver Cup is now. The Silver Cup is now a platinum or gold driver paired with one bronze and one silver. This is similar to what the Gold Cup is now. Pro-Am is becoming the Bronze Cup with two bronze drivers paired with a higher-rated driver, a platinum or a gold, and John, I believe, a silver as well. Yeah, for, for, for Bronze Cup, you couldn't have a platinum, gold, or silver paired with the bronze and a bronze. So 
Um, I think you did really well explaining that because it's it's very, very complicated. And we've spent a few weeks trying to get answers on this. Our Dan Lloyd has been really, really uh, on it, trying to get confirmation on what this means for the other SRO championships as well. Um, this is just the Endurance Cup driver categories, basically. And um, it's extremely complicated. You can find the full story on Sports Card 365. I urge you to read that. I'm no expert with this kind of thing right now. Um, I wish we could go to a, a formula where there's just a pro and a pro-am. And it would make a lot of sense. Or maybe an am. Pro, pro-am, am. And then driver ratings, you can have a pro or am. It would make things so much easier than all these different ratings and and procedures and everything that, that goes on with this system. And, and as we've talked about on previous shows, the SRO has led the overhaul of the FIA rating system. And this is why we're seeing some changes in the class structure for next year in, in GT World Challenge Europe. We expect a similar class structure for the Sprint Cup in addition to the Endurance Cup. And speaking with SRO America President and CEO Greg Gill, he seemed to indicate that there could be some deviations um, for their series, for instance, because, um, for instance, their pro class right now currently requires a silver rated driver in the lineup. That was a change made, I think, in the second round of the season. So I think every local SRO series is going to sort of adapt as the market sees fit. Um, you look at um, GT World Challenge Australia, there is no pro class there. Um, same as GT World Challenge Asia. So um, we're we're going to be seeing some changes and deviations, I think, for the other championships, but still not confirmed exactly what the class structure will be for those. As promised, let's take a dive into the LMDH testing programs. And for those of you who may be newer to the sport, Here's a little brief overview on what LMDH is. LMDH is distinct but similar to LMH. It stands for Le Mans Daytona Hybrid and will compete against LMH cars, a Le Mans hypercar, for overall wins in both the IMSA WeatherTech Championship and the World Endurance Championship. LMDH cars that compete in IMSA will do so alongside LMH in the GTP class. Over in Europe in the World Endurance Championship, it'll be called the Hypercar Class. This is all in an effort towards convergence from the FIA, the ACO, and IMSA in top-level prototype racing. Teams can choose from a variety of chassis manufacturers, Multimatic, Delara, Ligier, or Orica, and they will pair this with a spec hybrid system. They will all make 671 horsepower, and that's LMH cars included, and this is so that they can all fit into the same balance of performance or BOP. LMDH cars will undergo homologation at the familiar wind shear wind tunnel. If they want to run over in the World Endurance Championship, the homologation process will happen in the Sauber F1 wind tunnel over in Switzerland. Uh, and again, you can read all about the specific technical specifications, but basically the thing to know is the LMDH regulations have been built around the backbone of the existing LMH hypercar regulations written by the FIA and the ACO. With that, let's start talking about some of these manufacturers, and Porsche is the one we've seen first. They've been on track the longest. They rolled out seven months ago at their own private track in Wysock. This was kind of a, an interesting rollout because the car was not fully complete with the hybrid system. It had some hybrid components. It was kind of a partial hybrid system. It had the internal combustion engine and certain uh, hybrid system units attached. 
And But since then, they've made huge steps. They've tested at Barcelona, they've tested at Monza, they've tested at Spa, and they've made leaps and bounds. And as we said, seven months gives them a huge head start over really every other manufacturer. And to Porsche's own comments, this has been both a good thing and a bad thing. They've said that manufacturers can benefit from having watched their successes and failures on track. But at the same time, Porsche has more data than anybody to go off of. If you want to take a little bit deeper look, Dan Lloyd wrote a great piece giving you an inside look at what this Porsche testing looked like on Sports Car 365 Plus. Yeah, Porsche is obviously the most prepared right now, and certainly they have the most mileage and, and experience with their uh, 963 um, uh, LMDH car, which obviously, use, as you said, it will run in the GTP class and IMSA and hypercar class in the in the WEC beginning next year. They actually just came off of a test at Monza with two cars. That was the first time they were testing um, two of the 963s side by side. One of those cars will go back to America um, for a test at Daytona later this month, and then some uh, some more group testing later in the year prior to the IMSA sanctioned tests we have for LMDH, um, both at Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta following Motul Petit Le Mans, and then in December at Daytona International Speedway. It hasn't been trouble-free. There's been some issues with the Bosch um, supplied MGU, the motor generator unit that's spec on the LMDH cars. Um, Porsche sort of encountered bulk of it so far just because they've been on track the most of most most of every out of every manufacturer but when you look at it um there seems to be some some strides made in the last couple of weeks um with the MGU there's been an updated version that was validated at Sebring during a 5 day test between Porsche and Cadillac BMW rolled out their LMDH car at Verano and apparently didn't have any issues with the MGU there we don't have any further details on how the the test at uh, Monza went exactly in terms of the hybrid system for Porsche, but certainly they're very well prepared. Um, it's a Multimatic based chassis. Um, the Porsche is a is a twin turbo V8 engine derived from the 918 Spider, which actually comes from the RS Spider. Um, so it's really interesting to sort of see a full circle come with the engine on this um, 963. And um, certainly, I, I think that there's been a lot of emphasis around testing. Um, they've done a, multiple tests in Europe. Um, they've done one test in America that we know of right now, and that's at Sebring. And they're headed back stateside for some more in the next couple of weeks. And the testing program has been great for not only Porsche, but some of the huge important partners they've brought on as well. We know that Porsche will run in both the IMSA WeatherTech Championship and the World Endurance Championship next year. Porsche Penske will run a pair of cars. JDC Miller Motorsport was recently confirmed to run a car in IMSA. And Porsche has paired with Jota with backing from Hertz and Singer in the World Endurance Championship. And there's one more car to be announced that we don't quite know yet. From all reports we've had, Porsche has been very inviting to these manufacturers to join in tests. We know that Jota will be testing out the 963 before they actually take delivery of their own. And we've seen interest already from FAF for as early as 2024. And there's a potential that Porsche could debut the car, the 963, in Bahrain this season in, in the World Endurance Championship. We're not entirely sure, but the door is still open. Yeah, it actually looks pretty likely that they will, um, barring any unforeseen issues um, in testing in the next couple months. But I, I think they're positioning themselves to do that. It hasn't been official, hasn't been uh, officially confirmed. I think that would probably come once they get more testing completed just to make sure everything's working out okay. 
And, and going back to the customer program, as you mentioned, there's going to be another IMSA team. I spoke to Volker Holtzmeyer, the Porsche Motorsport North America president and CEO um, during the Road America weekend. And he confirmed to me that there is a confirmed customer, but they're letting that customer announce it on their own terms. So we'll be waiting for an announcement, hopefully in the next uh, few weeks here on that. In WEC, we should be getting a second customer car, and that's likely to be from Proton Competition um, over there. So um, certainly a lot of effort because there's going to be four of these cars in both championships full time and potentially as many as six maybe six cars at Lama. Um, we'll have to wait and see. Um, Porsche Penske Motorsport is likely only to run two cars, but we don't know if, if the JDC and the other North American team will try to get an entry for Lama as well. On the driver's front, Porsche's announced eight drivers already for their um, program. They haven't allocated where they're going to race yet, but we know that Kevin Estra, Michael Christensen, Andre Lauderer, Lawrence Fanthor, Matt Campbell, Matthew Jaminet, Felipe Nasser, and Dane Cameron are all signed up to drive the the factory cars next year. Um, we believe that Jaminet and Campbell are are likely going to be in the WeatherTech Championship. Um, Dane Cameron and Felipe Nasser, on the other hand, will probably be in the WEC. So it's interesting to see some of their experienced IMSA aces most likely taking on a WEC program. Uh, I would say Andre Lauderer is probably a shoe-in for WEC, as well as Estra Christensen and Vanthor. So sort of have an idea of where these drivers are going. There's still a couple more to be announced. And um, been hearing talk of potential high-profile driver to be announced as well. Uh, we'll have to wait wait and see what happens with that. Um, we know when the, the 919 hybrid program was started, they um, Porsche brought Mark Weber in, and he was a great ambassador and, and driver for that matter. So we'll have to wait and see if they bring in anybody else of that kind of caliber in for this program. But we know um, at least two more drivers are set to be announced uh, to complete the lineup for Porsche. Let's talk about Cadillac for a second. We don't have an official name for the car, but it is the Project GTP Hypercar is the moniker we've been given initially. The car did a shakedown in July, and Sebastian Bourdais, who was amongst those to drive, says the car is really already in the window, given some of the testing they've already done at Sebring, and as we said, the shakedown as well. Chip Ganassi will run a car in IMSA as well as a car in the World Endurance Championship, and then Action Express will do one more in the WeatherTech Championship as well. They're paired with Delara and a 5.5-liter dual overhead cam V8. And John, it sounds distinctly different from the current fire-breathing V8 that they have in the TPI car. Yeah, this one is actually developed in Pontiac, Michigan at GM's powertrain development um, center, where the previous engine was actually an Earnhardt Childress racing ECR engine uh, tuned power plant, even though it's the same displacement and it's still a V8, um, a, a dual overhead cam configuration certainly makes it um, quite distinctive for sure. Um, as you said, Jonathan Chip Ganassi is going to be running um, in both IMSA and WEC. We actually got word that all of these teams are going to be known simply as Cadillac Racing. So um, we're going to have the op operators, which will be Ganassi and Action Express, but all the on the entry list, it's all going to be simply known as Cadillac Racing, which is quite an interesting take because. Um, it might get a little confusing in IMSA when you have one Cadillac racing car run by Ganassi, one by Action Express. Um, on the driver lineup front, we've, we've so far have tested the car is, as you said, um, Seb um, Bourdais, uh, Ranger van der Zanda, Earl Bamber, and Alex Lynn. I would have to think that Pipo Durrani is pretty much a shoe-in at Action Express. We don't know his co-driver will be over there um, just yet. 
Um, I, I know there's been a lot of dialogue um, and discussions there. I have some questions into Laura Wantrop Clauser, the program director for Cadillac Racing as well as Corvette um, Racing. Um, she she's a hopefully she'll get back to us sort of soon for some of these answers, and maybe we can have a story on Sports Card 365 this week about that. But um, nonetheless, um, really exciting stuff from Cadillac. Um, they haven't had as much testing, obviously, as Porsche, but they were the second. LMDH car to hit the ground um, at Putnam Park in early July um, for their shakedown. And as you said, um, that was followed up by a five-day test at Sebring. Yeah, and John, this is another big manufacturer that's bringing some big help. Chip Ganassi and Action Express have been wildly successful in IMSA, and Ganassi runs a lot of programs all over the world in uh, in the world of racing in general. And so to, to take on the World Endurance Championship is no small feat, but an organization like that certainly should be able to make an impact. Yeah, and the whole reason for the full WEC program is to guarantee an entry for Le Mans. Um, the ACO sort of put out a prerequisite that that any manufacturer, any LMDH or LMH manufacturer for that matter, um, would have to do a majority of the WEC rounds in order to be eligible for Le Mans, just from a balance of performance standpoint. Um, we've seen this before with Corvette racing, with um, running selected WEC races this year, obviously, that are doing a full season program, which is a little bit different um, in GTE Pro. But um, with this requirement, um, that sort of put the the emphasis on having a car full-time in WEC for CGR. And um, it'll be interesting to see how they sort of split resources because this year they're running two cars full season in IMSA, and now they're going to be splitting that team up one and one apiece come next year. Another huge manufacturer dipping their toe in the pond on both sides of the pond, I should say, is BMW. The BMW M Hybrid V8 was rolled out at Verano in July uh, we understand that the car will arrive in early September to complete its testing regimen in the United States. Uh, we know that staff from the discontinued Formula E team for BMW will be there alongside BMW staff members from the DTM will all kind of help out. The BMW M Hybrid V8 will be paired with a Delara chassis and use a semi-grandfathered P66 engine from the DTM. It will use a 4-liter twin-turbo V8 power plant, of course, paired with that spec hybrid system. And we've seen so far, Connor Filippi was the first one to drive the car, but he was joined by Sheldon Vandalinda on track as well. Yeah, they have a lot of drivers to, to pull their resources from, much like what we talked about with Ferrari with their LMH program earlier on in the, in the show. Um, it looks like BMW is going to be really choosing their drivers from their existing pool. I think they have 16 or 18 factory drivers on their roster between um, the full factory drivers and then the BMW junior team. So um, lots of talent to to choose from. There's obviously only going to be two cars for the first year run by Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan racing in the WeatherTech Championship, the factory entries in the GTP class. That'll be followed up in 2024 by um, what we expect is two more cars by WRT that was recently announced um, both the commitment for WEC and WRT's move to BMW after being a longtime partner of Audi in GT3 competition and actually TCR BMW's so far had limited testing as well um we, we know that there's some testing planned in Spain um, this month before the car gets shipped uh to America in early September um, a little fun nugget of information is that 
Um, the the car will be the first car to go to Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan's new 100,000 square foot shop in Indianapolis. So even before the Indy cars go in there, um, the the BMW M Hybrid V8 will be the, officially the first race car in their new headquarters, which is quite uh, an impressive feat. Um, we don't know the exact testing plan in the U.S. just yet. I know. Um, speaking to Brandon Fry, the technical director and operations director of RLL, um, he explained that they're looking to do some endurance testing in the U.S. Um, and hit a lot of the major tracks, likely sharing with some other manufacturers in the process. And let's talk about Acura for a second, the ARX06. And this is uh, one that we haven't seen fully. We've seen some teaser images and some video from Honda Performance Development and Acura. But we know that Wayne Taylor Racing and Meyer Schenk Racing will run cars in IMSA. Their rollout was delayed a little bit due to supply chain issues on a couple different fronts. But they're confident right now that their current DPI programs will help in the LMDH development. The car was officially rolled out at Paul Ricard before making a quick little hop, skip, and a jump to Magni to complete a first official test. Interestingly, the car was designed by Acura's design studio in Los Angeles, which is interesting to me because I'm recording from Los Angeles. And while we don't know exactly what the internal combustion will be, we do know that it'll be paired with an Orca chassis. Yeah, and and the engine is certainly a, a turbocharged V6 by the sounds of it, at least. It sounds pretty similar to what they have now. Um, there's been some rumors that it could be based on something of a similar to the next generation IndyCar engine um, that's supposed to be paired with a hybrid unit as well. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. We'll have to wait for HPD to make these announcements, but um, certainly they're going with something that they know of, but it could be a bit of an evolution of what it was before uh, in, in the DPI. Um, Ricky Taylor and Matt McMurray have been the only drivers that we're aware of that actually have tested this car so far. Um, the uh, Matt McMurray is an HPD um, engineer um, by trade. He's obviously had a lot of success on the racetrack as well. Uh, he was the youngest ever driver to start the 24 Hours of Le Mans prior to um, this year when that record was broken by Josh Pearson. But um, McMurray um, has two IMSA championships to his name and um, worked alongside Ricky Taylor during that first rollout at the Paul Ricard airfield adjacent to the track and then also at Magni Coeur a couple days later. The car has since been um, delivered to the U.S. It first hit the shop at Wayne Taylor Racing in uh, Indiana um, uh, late last month or it was earlier this month actually in August and um, it's since completed a test at Kansas Motor Speedway which was really interesting because um, you know, you'd sort of think of all the tracks in the U.S., where would you want to go for your first test? And um, WTR and the Acura test team sort of decided on Kansas. And I asked Wayne Taylor why, and he basically said it was down to track availability. And that's a big reason why a lot of these manufacturers are actually sharing these tests between each other, because the tracks are so hard to rent right now, because there's so much racing going on, or testing, or track days, or or whatever, Acura decided to have their own private test at Kansas, which could help a little bit with aero um, setup and and straight line speed testing, and also um, on nighttime running, which Wayne said was an important factor for them because they were trying to hit the ground running with this package, you know, to sort of see how it would fare, for instance, at a place like Daytona, where they couldn't didn't have the opportunity to go testing at Daytona during that time. So interesting choice with Kansas. We know there's additional tests planned for them. We don't know exactly where right now, um, but 
out of the four LMDH manufacturers so far for 2023, um, Acura's kind of been the one that's been holding things closest to their chest. Um, we'll have to wait and see when they announce further developments and further program updates on the on the overall package, but we know it's going to be a competitive one. They're obviously leading the DPI championship right now, and it's going to come down to between the two cars from Wayne Taylor Racing and uh, Meyer Shank Racing for the championship. And speaking of those um, cars, we expect all four of those full season drivers to continue next year. Uh, Ricky Taylor and Philippe Albuquerque has already been confirmed at Wayne Taylor, and we expect Ali Jarvis and Tom Blomquist to continue with Meyer Shank as well. And let's quickly mention some of the other manufacturers as well. We know Lamborghini has announced a bid for both the IMSA WeatherTech Championship and the World Endurance Championship for 2024. Uh, we're expecting to see the car officially as early as 2023, early next year. Uh, they have partnered with Ligier, but that's kind of all we know, other than uh, they've chosen Mirko Bordelotti and Andrea Caldarelli before the car has even debuted. Yeah, th- surprisingly, we haven't gotten confirmation officially from some manufacturers about their drivers for next year, but Lamborghini's already confirmed two of their longtime factory stars um, for the 2024 program, which is, I think, uh, in a way to try to reserve them to make sure nobody else takes them. And at the same time, uh, building up some more excitement for um, the launch of this yet to be named LMDH car. As you said, Jonathan, it's going to be a dual program in IMSA and WEC um, with a single team. We don't know the team yet. That should be announced later this year. The debut for it being on track is early next year for testing and development. Um, the focus is going to be around the 24 Hours of Le Mans in 2024. So they may not take part in the first couple IMSA races of the season, for instance, if the car is not ready in time. So Lamborghini is already thinking this far out for 2024. Um, but it, it's certainly a, 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 an exciting program. I know a lot of people were wondering why they haven't opted with Multimatic. Um, given the Volkswagen family relationship there. But um, the decision to, to go with Liget is is really something that was independent. Um, it was motivated by other factors in the program. And I, I think it's going to ultimately end up resulting in even more diversity in the LMDH platform, as we as we were talking about just a few minutes ago. Um, this way, there's four, all four constructors are represented, um, chassis constructors are represented in the LMDH platform, at least by 2024. So um, that's certainly good news. Absolutely. And the more variety, the better, I think, uh, with new top level prototype racing. Another manufacturer joining the party with a bid set for 2024 is Alpine. And this has been an interesting one, too. We know for a fact that they're paired with Orica, so the two French organizations. That partnership makes a lot of sense. Uh, and since they won't be competing until 2024 and their bid to continue with their grandfathered LMP1 car for next year was denied, the Alpine team will be competing in LMP2 in order to stay sharp in the World Endurance Championship. There's some uncertainty right now in terms of pairing, and Andretti pairing is likely if their F1 bid goes through. But, John, we could maybe see that happen even if the F1 bid doesn't happen because that bridge has already been built. Yeah, there's a possibility we could see Andretti running Alpines in North America, maybe badged as something else. Or if Alpine decides to enter the North American market, maybe with a cooperation, a simultaneous launch and um, effort in the WeatherTech Championship, that could be a possibility as well. Um, we know the Andretti name's been sort of floated around to multiple manufacturers, so I, I wouldn't say it's any kind of confirmed deal by any stretch of the imagination, but we know that there has been a lot of discussion between Andretti and Alpine 
along with the parent company, Renault. So we'll have to wait and see what happens there. Um, in terms of the WEC program that is confirmed, we know there will be two cars on the grid in 2024, one run by Signatech and another one likely run by staff members, extra people from the F1 program, basically because of the budget caps that are in F1 now. Um, Alpine is looking at ways of, of keeping a lot of their, their staff employed. Um, of, of note, it's interesting that Bruno Famin, the former technical director and op, uh, former Peugeot sport director outright, um, has joined the program earlier this year. He's um, involved on the technical side. So um, he has a lot of experience in the previous well, actually, two or three generations ago of LMP1 regulations back when the 908 was racing against the Audis and the ILMC before the WEC began. And um, I, I think that there's certainly a lot of a brain brain trust here within this group. So it'll be interesting to see how it all develops heading into 2024. And one manufacturer that we thought we were going to see, and it turns out we will not, is Audi. They did have a bid. They started to put a program together, and then the program was officially put on pause and then fizzled out. They were initially going to partner with WRT, and uh, that partnership has since ended as well uh, for other various reasons with, with WRT and their aspirations in racing further down the line. But unfortunately, we will not be seeing Audi with an LMDH entry, at least for the time being. Yeah, it's a real shame because the car was literally being built as this decision was made, and WRT had a testing program already lined up, and everything was all green light ready to go and um audi decided to strategically change their focus um put some more emphasis on their dakar program which um is going through some changes for next year i, I believe i'm not too up on all of the developments there but um they've been using a, a electric based prototype there for that program and then of course there's all the rumors about f1 and both audi and porsche potentially going there in 2026 so um, for now, it doesn't look like we'll be seeing Audi in LMDH, at least for the next couple of years. Um, things can always change, of course, but um, for, for the time being, it's unfortunate because we would have had another manufacturer on the grid for next year. And there are a couple other manufacturers, big ones, in fact, that we've seen rumored, Ford and McLaren among them. We know Ford is coming to GT3, and McLaren has said in previous statements that for them, LMDH is, is not an if, but a when. Uh, and these are two exciting ones to keep an eye on. Yeah, I think the McLaren option is probably more likely than Ford, but I wouldn't discount Ford either. I, I, I the last chat I had with Mark Rushbrook, um, the Ford Motorsport, Ford Performance Global Motorsport Director, um, was during the 24 Hours of Le Mans week, and um, he basically said no comment about LMDH, and he sort of gave me a bit of a smile. So I, I think. There's still a possibility for Ford, but for the short term, I think they're really focused on getting uh, no no pun intended on the focus part. <laughs> um, they're they're really uh, focused on getting the um, GT3 Mustang out in uh, in action. Uh, Multimatic is developing and will run factory cars for 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 that in the WeatherTech Championship GTD Pro class, and they'll obviously be offering customer cars as well. So um, I think that's the the primary target right now for. Ford and sports car racing. McLaren has their hands in almost everything right now. Um, Extreme E, Formula E, IndyCar, F1. Can they really add another program? I don't know. Um, you know, I, I, 
they certainly have enough drivers for it based on what we heard <laughs> that's going around the in the world of open wheel racing right now. But um, we'll we'll have to wait and see. I, I don't think anything will happen before 2024. Certainly nothing will happen before 2024. It's probably something for 2025, if that. Um, but let, let's wait and see. Yeah, that certainly will be interesting. And if uh, if the current news has been any indication, an entertaining story to follow. Yes, for sure. And we know we threw a lot at you, but you can read all about it a little bit more in depth if you wish to over at sportscar365.com with more articles than you know what to do with covering all of the teams we've mentioned and more. John, before we let everybody go, let's dive in to answering some listener questions. We've got some good ones here this week, and we'll start with one that was posted by Gregory Tolson in the comments section of our previous episode. He asks, with Dunin stating that Lime Rock Park next year will get an additional support series race, do you think it'll be MX-5 Cup, Porsche Carrera Cup North America, he hopes, or the VP Racing Sports Car Challenge? Honestly, I don't know. Um, I haven't really heard which one it would be. Um, John sort of hinted that it could be a surprise. So maybe it's a, another series joining them that's not IMSA sanctioned. Um, we know that there's a gap in the Lime Rock weekend schedule um, because the TCR only race there is um, is probably going to be a sprint race. It's not going to be a full two-hour long distance race. The other, th- the other thing that I was thinking about is that um, obviously IMSA has this partnership with WSC, which is the rules makers for TCR, and they did a demonstration run of the ETCR platform at Daytona a couple of years ago with Augusto Farfus in a Hyundai um, Veloster uh, and ETCR car. Maybe Lime Rock could be a round of the World ETCR Championship next year. Just putting it out there, it might be something that's a surprise that could be something different and given that tcr is going to be their standalone with imsa's traditional tcr class in the michelin pilot challenge it would sort of work well as a good tie-in for etcr so um just a guess i have no inside info there but um we'll have to wait and see we'll put your bets in now and if etcr happens folks you heard it here first Our next question comes from Sut, who posted this question initially in the Ferrari 296 GT3 article, but was hoping to have it answered here on Double Stint. Let's go ahead and do that for you. He's asking if Ferrari's biggest focus will be LMH, and if the U.S. is, quote, the most important market for Ferrari, unquote, then why the heck aren't they planning to race the LMH car in IMSA? Well, they're not planning to race it next year, but... That's not to say they're going to not do it in 2024. I I, I think the the focus uh, for Ferrari and, and everything going on is just to do it with one series and not stretch things too thin, uh, especially with the tight timeframes for for debuting the car. Um, uh, Coletta told me before previously that it was going to be way too difficult to make it for Daytona, for instance. Um, so if they were to do a couple races in IMSA, then that could come into compromise to their LMH effort, the hypercar, hypercar class effort in the WEC. So I'm optimistic that we could see a car in IMSA, at least on in, in the endurance races in 2024, but maybe it could be a full season program as well. Um, the, the big stumbling block in the past has always been, from what I am understand at least, it's been Ferrari North America not having the same level of investment as Ferrari globally, Ferrari Italy, let's say, and I, I think that's sort of the, the 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 problem with trying to get a full time program, whether it even be a two nine six GT three effort within GTD Pro or a GTP program. 
um, with the new LMH car. I, I think it's really trying to get Ferrari North America to pony up with the required and necessary budgets to go racing. I certainly hope pony up was an intended pun because that was a good one. <laughs> I didn't think of it, but yeah, there we go. Another one. We had a pair of questions from Sam L. He says, first, why do you think the IMSA Sprint Cup failed? And why is this mini championship nowhere near as successful as the somewhat comparable Endurance Cup? That's a really good question. I, I was a big supporter of Sprint Cup when they launched it, I think, three or four years ago. And, and it made a lot of sense because, you know, the large chunk of the budgets in GTD come from the four endurance races. And if you take those out and just do the regular distance races, it's almost half the cost. So I don't know why there weren't more teams that committed to this. Um, maybe they needed to create some incentive. Maybe they needed to make it a bronze mandate. Maybe they needed to um, do some other things to sort of make it more attractive for gentlemen drivers. Uh, but it, it, it's clear that IMSA isn't willing to sort of let it sit around and not be active you know obviously we had one entry this year with rick ware racing but at the same time all the full season weather tech championship teams are eligible as well so it's not like that there was only one car on the grid it was the full gtd class for the for the majority of the races but um i can understand where imsa was coming from to discontinue it but it still sort of puzzles me why it, it wasn't as much of a success Sam L's second question is, when different racing series set their schedules, do they factor in other series races to try to avoid schedule conflict? Do you think series actively try to avoid conflict? Do any racing series communicate with each other when trying to set their schedules to try to avoid an overlap? And yes, they in fact do, especially with some of the bigger races. Um, we've seen this actually uh, play in, into factor this year with Bathurst, and that kind of had people scratching their heads with the scheduling there because it did clash with a lot of other big events. Uh, and this is something that most of the big series do take into account. Yes, and and, and we know for a fact that IMSA and SRO America um, have a really good level of communication between each of those organizations to avoid clashes as well. Unfortunately, there is one clash on the GT World Challenge America schedule with uh, the WeatherTech Championship next year, at least right now. I don't know if there's going to be any effort to try to alleviate that, but um, certainly sanctioning bodies do talk with each other and um, it's a little more difficult at the FIA level when you're talking like a world championship with WEC because they're also trying to juggle Formula One. They're trying to juggle Formula E um, and, and things like that. But um, when it comes to sports car racing, um, the WEC is actually in dialogue with IMSA as well to make sure there's no clashes with any of IMSA's major endurance races. So it's a really hard thing to be a, a person that sch schedules races because there's only 52 weeks in a year and usually only 40 of them that are viable given that um, winter off season and, and all of that. So um, it, it's really hard to pack everything in as, as tight as they can be. Um, it's actually kind of interesting that these two, this two week period in August, there's not actually much going on in the sports car racing world. Like last weekend, there was virtually nothing this weekend we have a couple um, sro series in action but that's pretty much it so um, i'm surprised that there actually wasn't more racing scheduled on these weekends for instance but the summer holidays in europe take a big priority for a lot of people um, and and imsa is, is taking a well-deserved break after a busy early summer stretch as well that it is indeed 
Racing Mike asks a question that actually pairs nicely with what we were talking about early in the episode. They ask, with Porsche buying so heavily into Formula One, do you foresee any crossover between the upcoming LMDH power plant and the 2026 F1 power plant? Uh, And you can go a couple different ways in this one. My initial reaction would be no, just simply because the regulations will be a little bit different. But I do see where your head is at. They're both hybrid units and, and there could be some development overlap, shall we say, potentially within the company. There, there could be, but I would kind of doubt it. Um, I know that Porsche had a dedicated F1-style engine development program when the 919 hybrid was discontinued. They allocated some of their staff over to this program specifically. Um, I don't know the status of it because, quite frankly, I don't follow F1 that closely. But I would, if I would have to guess, uh, their F1 engine, if they do end up going to F1, which we think they will, but it's not official and all of that, um, I, I think it would be a separate power plant to what we see in LMDH. And finally, we had a pair of questions on Twitter via the hashtag AskDoubleStint from Steve M. The first question is uh, regarding new fans to IMSA, how much input or weight does IMSA have working with tracks to improve the general admission fan experience in any way? Is it hard to be a road course fan? Do tracks slash IMSA ever examine improving viewing access for general admission fans uh, at all? And you got to think, yes. I mean, IMSA, I would say of, of most of the major global series is very in tune with the fan experience and i think some of the best access you can have as a fan with just a general admission ticket is at an imsa event yeah imsa is certainly fan focused uh, one of the most fan-friendly championships i can think of so um there's a lot of emphasis placed on on that for sure at the state of the sport address imsa uh, made a reference to new fans in 2023 if you look at the 2017 through 2022 dpi plus gtlm versus the 2023 GTP class, they've lost Nissan, Mazda, and Ford, and held serve with Acura, Cadillac, Porsche, and BMW. His favorites are prototypes since Can-Am, but what are your thoughts on this? Well, we never really lost Nissan because that was a privately funded initiative by Extreme Speed Motorsports, so there really wasn't any Nissan factory backing there. Uh, Mazda, yeah, we have lost them. That's, That's a fact. Ford, has gone to gt3 they'll have a factory program starting in 2024 with that so i would really only count losing one or one and a half manufacturers in the top class for sure and like you point out there's four lmdh manufacturers for for 2023 then there'll be five in 2024 at least at least um if alpine or some affiliation there doesn't make its way over to imsa so um i i think we're shaping up to have a really good era of prototype racing and um i wasn't around during the can-am times but i i think that this would certainly um give it give it a run for the for its money and you never know john who's waiting on the sidelines just uh chomping at the bit to try to get a bid for years down the road we know lamborghini is waiting till 2024 and we know there may be other manufacturers waiting to join in the party later down the road as well As always, we appreciate you writing in your questions. We love answering them. If you have any questions you'd like us to answer on the show, be sure to post them in the comment section below this episode or take to Twitter and post your question using the hashtag AskDoubleStint and we'll put our heads together to answer it in an upcoming episode. Let's quickly give you a preview of what's coming up in the world of sports car racing. We didn't have any on-track action last week, but we will this week. GT World Challenge America, powered by AWS, takes on Road America. And at Sportland Sugo, we will see GT World Challenge Asia powered by AWS. That's it for us this week on the podcast. If you have the time, we'd greatly appreciate a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice. It really helps out the show. 
Thank you so much for joining us wherever you're tuning in from. For John DeGeese, I'm Jonathan Grace. We'll see you right back here next week for another edition of Double Stint.